Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Monergy Life. This is your host, Robert Fisher. And of course, I'm extremely pleased to welcome our guest from last week, John Gallo, in the second of a three-part series. Tonight, we're going to continue exploring some of the concepts raised from last week's show. And judging by your response, there's a great deal of interest in this topic. You know, consciousness is an idea that's very popular these days. Everyone wants to increase their consciousness if they're on the spiritual path. The question is how to do it and how to do it authentically. There are a lot of people out there who claim to know the path and want to show it to you. But I think that you have to really look at the way in which it's being presented and the ideas and see whether or not those ideas resonate with you. And once again, before John comes on the air, he should be calling in any minute. Any of the things we discuss that you hear tonight, any of these concepts about consciousness, please don't accept any of them as true. They should only be true for you if they resonate with you. From my experience, things resonate when my experience personally proves them to be true. Here's John right now. John, is that you? Yes, it is. Welcome to Monetary Life. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, uh, Robert, and yourself? Uh, I'm also doing great. I was just explaining to the audience um, how I think that anything that we talk about, anything we spoke about last week, everyone listening should not believe a word of it unless it resonates with them as true. Just don't believe it because we're saying it. Uh, And your experience, listeners, is what really counts and whether or not it feels right to you, any of the concepts we're talking about. That said, John, I have a big question for you tonight. Okay. Who are you? I am a spiritual being having a human experience in a vehicle that is called the body. This is made up of my sense of identity, the mental body, the emotional body, and the physical body. I am not that. Those are my tools to experience the material world. Now, how many people, when they're asked that question, John, answer in that way from your experience? Very few, because the whole thing is that we are, like, told from the beginning that we are human beings and then we this and that, we are never pointed to our true identity. And that's one thing that I have found. And so I like to have some fun with people and I ask them, you know, when I meet them, I want to ask you a question. And when you answer, I would like for you to ask me the same question back to me. And most people go, I'm a father, I'm a business, I'm a mother, 
um, this and that. It's all about the descriptions of that which we do, okay? Those are the things that we're going to leave behind when we uh, leave this vehicle. But that is not what we are. That's the body, the material world is, the body is our tool to experience this world of density, if you will. Now let's talk a little bit about the body as well as some of the other external parts of the material world as most of us know it. Uh, Just to recap a little bit from last week, we talked about how the external world, all material things are changeable, malleable, and on a certain level, an illusion. John, do you care to elaborate on that? Well, I remember reading uh, a a book called The Self-Aware Universe by Amit Goswami, who is, uh, well, he's a retired professor from the University of uh, Seattle of Physics. And this book talks about how the new quantum physics and quantum mechanics have proven where in the universe is a there in the subatomic realm there is it's one big field of potentiality now in physics when the scientist creates the experiment they are creating the results of that experiment and it is proven that it is the consciousness or the idea and thought of the scientist that takes that wave of uh, energy and converts it and it drops and becomes a particle and then becomes reality. These things about spirituality, if you will, our true identity is now starting to, science is starting to catch up to it. And they're looking at it and this is the phenomena that is within us and without us and it's just that is our true identity. We are consciousness. That's all we are, energy. And we manipulate the subatomic world with our thoughts. And the actual manifestation of that energy, the physicality of it all, comes only upon our observation of the object. Yes, because uh, you have another component that is whatever you believe becomes the law and the truth onto your being. So if you don't believe in something, you'll never see it. So taking that a, a step further, are you saying that everything in each person's physical reality is as a result of a thought that precedes that physical reality? A belief and a thought. First, it's it's the belief. Uh, If you believe that you are human and that these are the the laws, you are how automatically have put yourself into those. The belief is like a computer system like a um, Windows, if you will, operating system. Once you believe, that's going to come into the subconscious and that's going to be operating that until you bring that up and say, up until today, I'm changing my belief system. And it's like taking an operating system 
and throwing it out and putting a new one. And the idea that your belief system is what really controls here is also related to the concept of a thought form, is it not? Yes. So the two are very much related, thought form and belief systems. Thought forms come from one's belief system, correct? Yes. The, the, the belief system is that, like the sense of identity, okay, which is the, what, the sense of identity is like the bridge between the spiritual world and the material world. That's going to be the beacon or that's going to be the, the, the uh, what's going to make the steering wheel of how, what you're going to see in your reality. Because if you believe that you are a human, then there is a dis- you automatically have disconnected yourself from the spiritual world. Could you repeat that again, please, for our listeners? If you believe that you are a human, you automatically in your belief system have cut yourself out of the bridge to the spiritual world. Now, if you come to know what you're really truly, what we all are, which are we are spiritual beings having a human experience, there is a difference because you automatically access that unseen reality, which is what the quantum mechanics uh, physicists are now seeing, the subatomic realm, that field of potentiality, which is the basis for all of the universe. And, and when you're talking about this other reality, we're talking about basically an energy vibration, a consciousness, right? Something like that? Yes, it's all energy, but it is conscious energy. It's like when you can like now stand wherever anybody is, you can shut your eye, you can raise your hand. You're not looking at your hand, but you know that you have your hand raised. That consciousness is that allowing, what allows you to close your eyes, you're not seeing everything disappears, but you know that you are, because you have that awareness of being. So, John, tell our listeners, how did things get so screwed up with most of humanity? <laughs> well, I cannot really, like, uh, right, uh, tell you a thing I have, like, uh, more or less, it, it happened, I think, uh, um, millions and millions and millions, I don't know exactly when, but when we as spiritual beings started to come and take physical forms, uh, it wasn't the form that we know today. Uh, It was simpler, it was easier, and then all of a sudden we started to come back into these forms and we started to forget, okay, because then when you come into the material world, you you have, unless you are so consciously aware, you have not a true awareness uh, all the time of the other spiritual underneath what's happening. Okay, so when we started to come in, we started to forget, and our reality started to be that we are separate from that other reality. And so when we drop our bodies, 
we're going to take the belief system. We are going to be who we are, the belief systems, when we are we're in the body. And so immediately something's missing and, oh, my God, what happened to me? And we want to come back because we know this is truth and we're not seeing the other as the real basis of creation. So that's bad news for people who commit suicide, isn't it? Well, yes, because you're really not escaping anything. You're taking those emotions because those emotions and those belief systems are yours and you have free will and nobody's going to come and try to change that. But in practice, there are all kinds of factors, all kinds of people, all kinds of institution that in effect trample on human beings' free will. Now, how did that come about? Well, it's all about uh, trying uh, to get something out of something else or fulfilled uh, the, the, human, the human ego part of needing something or wanting something. And when you try to get something to fulfill, but in, in essence, it's not that wanting something. There is a deeper wanting and longing which cannot be satisfied with the material world. And, it, I mean, I'm sure that everybody here in listening has gotten a new car, a new house, uh, a new love, a new relationship. And when you feel that you get, if you were to get that car, if you were to get into that relationship, if you were to get that job, you would be changed and the only thing that needs to happen is for you to get that job, and then no longer is it going to be what you thought it was. It is only a projection, if you will, of your concept of what would be. But that never, there is not never a fulfillment, true fulfillment, because we of what we truly are, our true identity, and what we truly are is spiritual beings, and we cannot ever fulfill that in the material world. Let's talk a moment about something you just raised and what you said, which is the concept of projections. Projections are related to thought forms, too, because we can project onto other people, and we can project for ourselves, too. What's the power of that, both for ourselves and other people? How does that work? Well, uh, we can affect, like uh, if you look at the quantum mechanics and quantum physics, we can affect the subatomic particles, the waves, and we can have them collapse into particles with our consciousness. So we, in essence, have power over that. Uh, ether, if you will, that uh, you can shape. And so when you have a thought form or a projection, that reaches the other being without them knowing, uh, okay? Uh, when you project something uh, upon yourself, you are, in essence, creating that reality for yourself. Now, it doesn't matter if it's true or it isn't true. It's still happening. So let's, just, let's take it uh, in step one where you project onto another 
human being, spiritual, by, spiritual being in human form. Now, that person may or may not be aware of the projection, and that person may or may not entertain that projection consciously. The person may absorb the projection, or the person may be conscious of the projection and say to themselves, no, I don't think I want to do that, or no, I don't think I'm that person, and reject it. So it's basically... Right? So it's very important to be aware at all times because people are constantly projecting onto us in our society. Right. Right. Absolutely. And the thing is that we do affect other people uh, with our thoughts. So the key is uh, what I have learned for me is to allow everybody to be just the way they are and the, if I'm going to project something or I want to change something, what needs to be changed is in my thinking and my belief system because, in essence, I don't have the power really to change anybody, but I can affect somebody else. And that's not, my, that's not what I was created to do. But I think that many human beings operate from the other perspective in that they try to change the external in things that they don't like in the appearance of things or in what people are doing rather than changing themselves in their own belief systems which become reflected in their own reality as a result. Correct. Correct. And that's basically, and you know, uh, the only way that I can say is I have come from that point and that's where I know how this works because I used to be that way too. So, John, what's your suggestion for our listeners who are operating in a society in which 90-plus percentage of the population seek to change things through the external rather than working on themselves and their own belief systems? What can someone do well, it, living in that environment? Well, well the, the, the first thing is it doesn't work because uh, I don't care how much accumulation of wealth, accumulation of uh, things you can have, you cannot find fulfillment in those things, a permanent fulfillment. So there is something missing. And that something missing is the key ingredient to everything, which is who and what we are. And once we come to know that, then we can start looking at the processes of the conversations that we have in mind. And because those conversations that we have in mind are going to be reflected back, it's like almost the experiment that the physicist is creating, okay? And by creating that conversation, you're going to see it play out in the material world, be reflected back to you. So, so now we're going into... Yeah. I was going to say we're going into the concept of the mirror work. Yeah, but the, so the key component of all of this is to, in essence, to become the observer of your inner conversations, your inner thinking, because by doing that, you can become the master. And when you master your thinking and your conversations, you can write your destiny. How are some steps that you could suggest for our listeners to do just that? It's just 
number one is just starting to see, observe the the conversations that we have before we go to, uh, you know, let's say we're going into uh, uh, some family dinner or family get-together, and then all of a sudden we start to having inner conversations with this person, the aunt, the cousin, the this, the that, of the what could happen. And first of all, it's becoming aware that those conversations exist within our own consciousness. And then sort of like stop them because at the end of the day, we have the power to do that. How do you stop them? By changing, by just stopping them and having no conversation, just being. And, okay, it's easier said than done. Yes, I believe uh, so. I believe so. And okay, for many it's easier, people, but... Right. And for many people listening, their minds are always in constant chatter about probably a million things going on at the same time in their life. So how do we get but, people to quiet their minds so they can first you, observe their thoughts and then change the thoughts from unwanted thoughts to thoughts <clears throat> that will pr- really propel them where they want to go in life? But first, they have to be aware that that's even happening because most people are not even aware. I wasn't aware of that happening within me when I first started. This was a brand new concept for me 10 years ago. And it it really, really grasped my attention when I read Become the Watcher of of Your Thoughts. I said, who is going to, what, what, what is, what is, and then all of a sudden it just hit me, yeah, I, the spiritual being, I is going to watch John's thinking. And only when you start that, it's like riding a bark, can you then become aware, and after the awareness comes the control. And eventually <clears throat> the negative thoughts stop, and the thoughts that you want start coming into your mind, the thoughts that are positive thoughts that actually are helpful thoughts. Uh, You know, for those just joining us now, uh, we were talking about the importance of thought forms in this whole process. And and basically, we're talking now about having uh, a, a technique to stop the negative thought forms that we have in our mind that are creating a negative reality for ourselves and substitute a more positive version of what we want or to be completely quiet, for the mind to be quiet. Basically, we're talking about controlling the thoughts in our own mind, which is quite an undertaking for many of us who are not accustomed to doing that. Uh, But, John, it's an undertaking worth taking, isn't it? Absolutely, because then once you get to do that, then you can call yourself a master, which we all are, but nobody taught us and showed us, first of all, that we are, second of all, that we can do it, and third of all, that we have that uh, power. Is that power rooted in free will that every human being has? Uh, That power is rooted on our true identity and that, yes, we have, the free will of choice. Provided we're conscious enough to be aware of it and to exercise it. 
Exactly, and that's the point. But first you have to come to the realization within your everybody individually that they have to know that I am not my thinking. I am not this body. I am the master of that. And these are only instruments for me to use. Sounds like a lot of work, and I'm not going to project whether it's hard work or not for anyone listening, but it's an effort that's required to get to this place. One might consider that to be the bad news if one was into labeling, which I'm not. But let's get to some of the good news that comes from this. Because once you realize that you've created your own reality through your thought process, then it becomes possible to actually uncreate the elements of your reality that you don't like. John, could you talk a few moments about that process, uncreating things? Well, let's say, let's not, let's say of not even uncreating. Let's say of like recreating a new creation. Uh, and, and, and like the scientists, and I keep on coming back to uh, Amika Swami's book because you just need to create a new experiment. And by creating a new experiment, you're creating a new result because you, your consciousness, the scientist's consciousness, is taking that wave and uh, making it into a particle and creating reality with it. So why the way we do it as humans is whatever we have in thought, that or belief, beliefs and thoughts, that's what's going to be mirrored back to you in your, your daily reality. So in essence, if you want to change your outer world, you have to change your perception, belief, and thought of it. And you're also suggesting that everything in one's life has been chosen on a certain level. So we've chosen our partners, where we live, what we do, whether we have complications in our life. These were all choices that were made by us. Now, isn't that a hard pill for some people to swallow, that they may have this horrible mother or father-in-law that's always abusing them and calling them names? And now, for instance, you and I would say to this person, you know, you chose that person to be in your life. How do you respond to that? Well, because, it, you know, it's very easier, it's a lot easier to blame somebody else for your uh, thing and, uh, because then you have no, nothing to do. You just blame, go around your life blaming other external situations and you don't have to take responsibility because here what we're talking about is taking control over your mastering your being, the components of your being, and that takes a little bit more uh, concentration and focus. <clears throat> And it's being done in a society that thrives on blaming others and creating so-called victims. That's another challenge. Oh, look for... at the, You get a cup of coffee at, uh, um, uh, at Burger King or McDonald's, and it says, be careful, the drink is hot, okay? <laughs> yeah, because they've been sued, okay? They've been sued. How, I mean, who knows? Who doesn't know that a coffee is made with heat, Okay. So the whole concept of, of victimization has been institutionalized in our society, courtesy of the legal system as well. 
Exactly. And because people, rather than take their responsibility and taking their own, uh, mastering their own being, they rather go unconsciously not taking that, you know, focus on it and blaming everything external to them. But the fact of the matter is, because we are eternal spiritual beings, this is not our first body that we take up. Okay. And before we take up the body, we decide and we, say, we plan out those lessons that we're going to try to learn and accomplish while we're in this uh, vehicle of separation. And we don't remember that part because if we were to remember that part, then it wouldn't be a lesson and we would be not mastering anything. So what you're referring to now are the agreements that we take as spiritual beings before we enter human form. In other words, agreements to have a challenging child or to have a challenging wife or husband, things like that. Absolutely, because without another... Um, entity, you cannot learn the interaction of uh, interplay, if you will. So are you saying that it comes down to almost all human experience is there for learning and for evolution of consciousness? Exactly. Rather than blame, rather than victimhood. That's the real lesson is to learn and to move on in this lifetime when you're in the human body. Exactly. Because what happens is when you drop your garment, your, 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 your vehicle, your tool, your instrument, whatever you want to call it, when you leave it, you're still going to leave the core of your beliefs. So whatever you come to know here, you're going to be without the body. You're taking that with you. And that's the only thing you're taking So if it's the case that we all make certain agreements before we enter the human form, agreements on what lessons we might learn while we're here, how does that interplay with the notion of free will? Well, everybody has the free will to change the agreement and not follow through with it if it means having the agreement with another entity, another spiritual entity. And so you change the dynamic by by doing that, you really are affecting a whole scene that will be replaced and will be, if there is really no judgment of right and wrong, there is just effects, cause and effect. Everything is a cause and an effect. So if you came down with an agreement to do this and have this interplay with somebody else, and then when you're here, you change that. You know, there's no nobody taking point and saying this is bad, this is wrong, because Nothing can exist outside of the creator, so it's all the creator, so there's no judging there. But then you do, in, you do are going back on what you truly wanted to accomplish, and you're going back on that which you, with another spiritual being. So how does that affect the evolution of your consciousness if you decide to change an agreement while you're here? based on your free will? Well, then you have to, if there was a lesson for you, you will have to come up with another way to have that lesson. 
and to transcend that, whichever you wanted to learn. Now, you mentioned when you were just talking about the no judgment uh, effect of all this, that you don't think that the divine power uh, or divine consciousness has any judgment attached to it. How does that how does that play for people listening today who are religious people, who hear about condemnation, who are constantly surrounded by others judging them for every little thing in their life? Why is it that humans, most humans, seem to be in judgment mode most of the time? How did that happen? Well, I think that the biggest culprit of all of this is the, our, the sense of separation that the human has the sense of separation from the creator and the sense of separation from each other and the sense of separation from all of creation if you will because it is my belief system that no thing no thing nothing no thing can exist outside of the mind consciousness or being of the creator so if that is the case, we are all one, and this has, is very much uh, talked about as that field of potentiality that the physicists of today are talking about how the, the universe exists. And so there, if everything is the creator, how can the creator be wrong in any one thing? So you're suggesting that there is one essence, one, one consciousness in the universe. It's just that most humans think that everything is separate. And they see themselves separate, and there is one consciousness, and within that one consciousness, there is the individualization of who and what we are. So it's a one and individualized as many. So the one contains many undivided individuals uh, and their own consciousness. And and that's how the interplay works. That's how it functions. Exactly. But that separation, which we perceive as being based on a physical and actual physical separation, is really an illusion. It's an illusory separation in the sense that we're all one spiritually. Exactly, and, 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 and so, and this is where the, the beauty today of quantum physics and quantum mechanics, you know, the whole universe is a wave of energy, and consciousness takes and collapses that wave into a particle, and that's creation, that's what you see in matter. And to take that a little bit further, a lot of people make a distinction between inanimate and, and animate matter, but in reality, it all comes from the same source. Exactly. And, and the quantum physicists are finding that even, even um, things made out of metal or things that we think are so solid, they have a vibrational energy too. Well, they, they're not even a vibrational. They're not really solid because if you look at them, through a, uh, a, a atomic microscope, you will see that even that tungsten uh, or titanium is 
space has spaciousness. So, John, tell me, how does the power of love fit into this whole concept? Well, it's, it, is, it's, it starts from the unconditional love of the Creator allowing all of creations to be exactly how it wishes to be so that everything comes to know the totality of what the Creator is. And throughout his... Right. Throughout history, many religious figures have seized upon this idea of unconditional love and preached it, but it was never really taken or explained the way you just did. And I think it's very hard for people to practice it. Now, why is it so hard for people to show and demonstrate unconditional love in every life situation? Why is that so difficult for humans? Because of, again, I go back to the sense of separation feeling that I need to get something or need something in the outer world or from another being to be whole. And so whatever I do here is to get something. There is, there is a cost of something, whereas the creator allows creation to be and let it without judgment. So what is unconditional love? And the human love is more conditioned, if you will. But you're suggesting that we'd all be better off if we just allowed everyone and everything to be as they are, correct? Absolutely. And I know we've talked before and you used the example of the, the grabbing hands versus the open hands, just allowing things to come to you. That's a, such a very interesting contrast because many people think that they need to grab things to get what they want. But you suggest another alternative. Exactly. The, uh, well, if you really think about it, um, the most amazing way to create something is to see yourself as already obtaining that which you want and seeing yourself from that point as if you already had obtained that. And somehow, somewhere, you will get to that. That's what people call visualization visualization but it's it's a has a when you come to know who and what you are and how it works it has a different power and energy behind it because you're not grabbing for it you're opening your arms to embrace what when it comes and how it comes that's the difference isn't it, it exactly you're not you're not mapping how to get here from here to there interesting well, you know, so far tonight we've really talked about some very interesting concepts and for our listeners, uh, I hope thought-provoking. John, what do you do if you have a bad day at work and you encounter bosses or coworkers who are throwing all kinds of negative energy around? Any suggestions on how to get rid of that for our listeners? And, and, and it happens all the time. 
And this is something that we're letting go and emptying and coming to the place that I am a spiritual being having a human experience and everything that I see or any there or situation out there cannot really affect my I, who and what I am. So I remove my focus from that which happening, which I don't want, and I put it within myself, that which I am, and it will disappear. And that's where, because the core of our being is real, is joy, and the core of our true being is peace. But we are trying to fulfill those two things in the outer world. And we will never achieve that. So when something happens to the external, I remember, now I don't have to do this, but I remember uh, early on I would say to that, like talking to that, that happening, uh, somebody that did something or said something, I would say, I would say to that thought form, you have no power. And I would remove my focus from it. And then if it would arose again in my consciousness, I would say, you have no power. And then take my focus away. And if it would arose again, I would say it had no power until one moment it never came back. Now I don't have to go through that exercise so much because now it's more instant and it's more like taking a shock, you know, a uh, chalkboard and just erasing all of the, uh, the, 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 the words. Is there any other uh, meditation you could suggest to help in that process? With light or colored uh, light or anything? Well, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, visualizations that you can have. Uh, one of the most um, uh, purple light, if you will, you can use that and visualize yourself, your body, from beneath your feet all the way to about three or four feet above your it's just like a violet uh, light just covering that because uh, violet light is a very high vibration light, ultraviolet, okay? And that, it changes the composition of any density. And all of these things about anger, about envy and everything have a very low vibratory density, uh, if you take about, uh, if you take the word anger or the emotion of anger, and you put it next to the emotion of joy, one is very lofty and the other one is very heavy. And so this is kind of an exercise. And because we, our spiritual being and consciousness, really can affect, you know, the subatomic realm, you are speeding your. Um, uh, your subatomic composure of your being and transcending it, transmuting it, if you will. Now, could you also use that process of uh, the violet light with somebody that has said something to you you don't like? Would you also project that violet light on them or you just do it to yourself? You, you could do that to somebody else because you're talking about something which is, uncon- this is loving, this is not about controlling, this is not about, it's almost like uh, the, the most powerful thing you can do uh, when somebody personally does something to you that you did, do not like is to forgive them 
for what they did and forgive you for whatever part you played and to know that that person can probably, most likely was an agreement that you had so that you can learn that emotion. Because without other person, without other person saying something to you, how could you experience that emotion of hurt? Impossible. Right. So we do need the other person to learn. And let's talk for a few moments about another activity that many of our listeners have engaged in. I know that I have, and I would, I would speculate that probably you have on occasion. And that's the idea of talking about other people, also known as gossip. Why is that so bad for the process we're talking about? Well, because anything that we utter that is negative, we are bringing that negativity to our reality. So, if, And because of our oneness, we're really not talking about the other. We're really talking about ourselves. And the one thing that I have learned is if I don't want something in my life, I don't utter anything of that sort. If it's about another person, if it's about anything. Something that I don't want in my life, I don't utter those words. So by talking gossip or talking what happened to another person or how the other person acted or what the other person did, you are really talking about yourself because of the oneness of the universe. That's so why fascinating something that you that you don't want. Exactly. Why? So I try to not to speak that which I don't want. Because before the word was uttered, all of creation is mental. Because the word is a second component, follows the thought. Which is why it's so important, the words that we say, not just to other people, but how we talk to ourselves with our internal dialogue, which we spoke about earlier. Exactly. And that is how we can all become masters of our being. And it starts with the inner conversations, with the inner talking, with the inner thoughts. Because those thoughts are affecting reality. And that has been proven with the scientists, the physicists of today. You know, it never ceases to amaze me, and I'm sure many of our listeners have had the same experience I'm about to describe. When we meet somebody for the first time, they'll tell us about their whole life story, and they'll focus on something that may have happened 5, 10, 20 years ago as a life-defining event, and that's why they are the way they are today. And that's exactly the opposite of what we're suggesting is a better way to live because when you give so much weight to that, you're constantly bringing that experience, and very often it's a negative one, into the present when it deserves to be just left in the past and not control your present existence. And let me just uh, add to that that experience that could have been uh, a, that you could call a not-so-good experience could is 
probably, and it is, because nothing happens in your reality unless you let it, it is your creation in the first place to learn how that would feel. Because at the end of the day, we're not, gonna, we're not bad experience. We're above that. It's because a, a, an experience is only a thought form. It's only a snapshot of what that could have happened. It's a DVD that we burned of that happening. Right. And that's one thing that I remember doing a long time ago, is to, in order to stay in this present, empty now, to be the observer of what is, I destroyed my DVD burner, my CD burner, and all of my DVDs. So there is no more story of John. And there's also no need to constantly reference past events. What for? Exactly. And for our listeners who perhaps that might be a very novel concept, try it. Try not to always refer back to the past and see whether it creates space and freedom that you never had before. Space and freedom in which you can actually start creating what you really want in your life rather than being bound by the past. And that is so incredibly powerful to get into the habit of living because the, the past does not exist anymore. But because we are powerful beings, because everybody now, I mean, I'm going to ask you this question, where, what happened to your morning? What happened to the time since you got out of bed? It is gone. But because of our identity, who and what we are, we can go back and recapture segments of what we did from the moment that we got up. But that's not what happened. We recreated it because, you see, the Romans lived in their moment, but it was, that moment was 2,000 years ago. They didn't live in the past. They lived in their present moment like we are living in this moment, and this morning is gone. But we can choose to bring it from the past and relive it in this present, but that's not what, what happened. And the same thing, there is no future, but we can project into the future of what could happen, but that when the future arrives, it's going to be in this moment of now. So basically, our true creation is created from this moment of now, this now, this moment. So why do so many people live in the past? Why do they make that choice? I think it has to do with, first, they really don't understand the mechanics of this. They don't understand who and what they are. And they don't understand that by the only thing that they're doing is bringing, rehashing the, the past and they're skipping this present. And that's what they call it, the present, the present moment of today because this present moment is where you can write your destiny.
And also there are the people that are constantly living in the future as well, always projecting into the future, worrying about the future, afraid for every component of their future. This is also very common amongst humans. Yes, it is. And I, and I remember uh, before that I, it was so hard for me to be still because I was always worried about this next morning. What's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing? And I was keeping this now. So this is something that I really can relate to. And there is no next moment. The only thing that it is is this now. And in this now, life is beautiful because nothing can arise in the moment of now that is so overwhelming. And what do you say to people who turn on the news and watch about all these events throughout the world and are very disturbed by events, let's say, in Africa or events in Crimea? And they come up to you, John, on the street, and they say, John, what do you think about Crimea? What do you think about the starving children in Africa? What do you say to them? Well, first of all, I don't watch the news or anything because when you come to this realization that they too are spiritual beings having a human experience and the human experience that they chose is to have that uh, uh, experience uh, of limitations wherever it might be because for whatever reason it was that I don't know, it's still transient. It has no permanence. So why should I worry about those things that are external to me that are not in my reality that have really, you don't understand, and there are transient because at the end of the day what sustains all of that is the creator. So it is the creator being born as that child, is the creator doing this, is the creator doing that. So I allow so, the creator to be. So on a certain level... Is it fair to say you might say to this person, well, you know, that situation in Crimea is perfect on a certain level. Would you say that to somebody? Oh, absolutely. Don't you think that would shock some of our listeners to hear that? I am sure that they will be shocked. I am sure. <laughs> but it is. Because who am I to say to the creator, you made a mistake? You allowed that to happen. But since we are in a world of, how can I say, a theater and playing our little parts, okay, in the theater called life, we really have, it's only like a game. This is only uh, like a, a video game. We're playing our little parts. Everybody's playing a little part, and we leave our body, everything's behind. You know, we leave everything behind, and that no longer is our reality. This will not no longer the world and of all of the components in the body and emotions and the, these thoughts are no longer have any bearance on what and who we are. And so if that's the case, that each of us is living in a dream or a virtual reality, then the best that we could hope to do is to strive for consciousness in every moment, isn't it? Yeah, to being aware I am, okay, and I'm here, and look at how beautiful it is, and nothing from this outer world can really affect my true essence. Nothing. If I don't allow it through mind. See, mind and thinking and beliefs is the gatekeeper to your physical being, if you will. 
Because your physical reality will be a reflection or a mirror of your thoughts. And your beliefs, yes. So what do you say to some of our listeners out there who are very much conditioned to complain about some of the circumstances in their life? How can they stop that? Well, I, you know, one of the things is, has complaining ever changed anything for them? <laughs> I guess it depends no, who you I am, to. I, I am sure that it hasn't. Okay, now, if you stop the complaining and you start only uttering those lofty, loving, joyful words, all of a sudden, the outer world is going to start reflecting that back to you. And that, I know. And when that occurs, it is indeed a miracle. That is living miracle. That is experiencing miracles. If you want to know what miracles are, I believe that John just uttered what it is. So I I really urge our listeners to try that over the next week. Because, of course, John is coming back next week for the third in this series with a very special guest, who will remain a surprise until next week, or at least until I schedule it. Uh, So when you talk about miracles, John, when people have talked about miracles through time and through history, isn't that what we're really talking about here, the miracle of doing that? Yes, the miracle of creating our own reality, but it is now taking command of that creation and not subconsciously doing it without knowing how it works. And this is exactly what the, those yogis in, uh, in the Himalayan mountains uh, have known for all of these years, is that it is the thought, you know, that creates your reality. So if you want to change your outer world, what needs to change first is your inner conversations, the thoughts that you carry, the, the words that you're saying, because all of those will be reflected back to you. So if you want to change your outer world, you've got to change what goes inside of you first. And then the outer world will reflect it back to you. Let me make a suggestion since John just reinforced this, and I totally believe that it's an important part of this whole process for those listeners who want to try this out over the next week or for however long. Take a few moments each morning before you get dressed, while you're getting dressed, look into the mirror in your bathroom or in your bedroom and talk to yourself, but, but actually talk to yourself about the things that you would like and love, love for yourself to happen. And do that two or three times a day. In other words, you're actually talking to the mirror. You're changing that inner dialogue that you've been carrying around with you from a negative one to a positive one. This is a good first step to start on this process. John, as usual, the time has flown, and we have just about a minute left of the show. Uh, is there anything you want to say to our listeners before this second segment is over? Well, the only thing that I want to like really uh, point out is uh, what we really truly are. Okay, we are powerful spiritual beings, 
And it is time for us to take that and make it our own and have the, do a demonstration with it of a consciously of exactly what we want. Because we have creating our own reality unconsciously because we didn't know how it worked. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we were all taught this in school, John? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe someday we uh, will be. Yeah, maybe some, one day this will be part of the curriculum. John, we've just about run out of time. John Gallo, Consciousness Rising. Let me thank you again, John, for being on Monetary Life. And to all our listeners, have a really wonderful and conscious evening. John, good evening. And to all our listeners as well, have a great night. Thank you. Thank Goodbye. you. Goodbye.